0: This is the podcast for the documentary In Progress, Indelible, for the week of June 14th, 2017. Uh, So yesterday I had what is called a status conference with the FBI's attorney, um, Brian Kipnis. The judge had ordered it, and the goal of the status conference was for parties to let the court know how the case will proceed My experience of the conference was very unusual and it was so unusual that I've decided that perhaps the reason was to prompt me to respond in some way, some particular way. So in light of this, I'm going to take a different approach and talk about something else. So you have to understand that my research and that of my father, journalist Richard Lyle, showed that there was something wrong with the Carl Harp case, and I'm talking about the sniper case and how it proceeded in court and how the convictions went, and, and then, um, and then his his murder, and it does appear like he was murdered, and. Um, And the murder had some odd aspects to it as well. So there was just something about the Harp case that wasn't right. And then came this information about his being targeted and trained as a mercenary as a kid, along with 32 other kids, he described us. And it checked out, and uh, those kids were in poverty So I can tell you, I do have a problem with this. And I think we all should. Why? Because all training for war activities, like running guns or counterinsurgency fighting, like Harp and his his little friends did, is supposed to be overseen by Congress. It's bad enough that this goes on at all, And we know it does from cases like the Iran-Contra case. But what's worse is that our military is harvesting, and I'm going to say that again, they're harvesting innocent kids who are vulnerable because of their poverty. And they have them undergo this training, and this kind of violence and training before the age of 16 impacts brain development because brains aren't fully formed by then so it it has a, it has an impact it changes how a child's brain develops after that and if that isn't bad enough they send the kids off to run guns or fight and then when they return they set them up for crimes they didn't commit as the Patsy and what kinds of crimes? Crimes that seem designed to scare the American public to rush them into a state of confusion so they'll be willing to allow laws to be changed which diminish their rights so I think that the work of a Native American leader named John Trudell is applicable here. I've been drawn to his words these past weeks, and I didn't know why, but the feeling was very strong, and I've studied and listened very carefully to what he had to say, and so I want to talk a little bit about this. John died, he died in 2015. And um, he was the chairman for the aim movement. You can look that up online if you want. So again, his name is John Trudell. So John brings up the concept of our being human beings. And as human beings, we have an innate intelligence. And when we are afraid, or in the depth of emotion, or feeling, we don't have access, Easy access to our ability for coherent thinking. And coherent thinking is what makes us a human being. It's different than believing. Believing is keeping our thinking in a narrow set of parameters, those that define the belief. But really, we have the ability to think coherently, which gives us a lot of power, makes us feel very engaged and alive. And it gives us power in a way that keeps us from being wrongfully controlled. And this coherent ability to think, well, it becomes coherent when it's integrated with with the spiritual aspect of our being a human being. And this doesn't mean religious. Because religion is something invented to keep us in a state of belief, to keep us in a box. But spirituality for the human being means to listen to your heart. It doesn't matter what words you use. You can use any words you want that are that feel right. But the important part is to know that you're connected to something larger than yourself and to tap into that connection. And you do this by listening to your heart, by feeling it, by putting your attention on your heart, as odd as that sounds. You put your attention on your heart and you just allow it to open it'll start to feel warm you just allow it to open and you just kind of listen listen while you give your attention to your heart and then think of like loving thoughts and empathy towards others just just think of those things just whatever it is you know just Hold in your mind a thought, a loving thought towards another person or another living creature or something in nature. But just keep your focus on your heart. And by doing this, you sort of allow this door to open that allows your thinking to be more coherent. Your thinking will become clearer and and you'll get new information and new ideas, it'll just really start to generate coherent thinking. Trudell said that our minds are being mined. And he wrote a book of poetry with that kind of a title. But anyway, he said, our minds are being mined by those in authority. He said, our thinking is energy. But it's electromagnetic energy. And science has proven this to be true. So if we think about fear, we send out energy about fear. And our world becomes about fear. What we get back, people we attract, have to do with fear. If that's the energy, those are the thoughts that we're putting out. That's what we're talking about. Talking is energy, too. So it's all, everything that we do is energy. It takes energy to do something. It takes energy to think. It takes energy to feel with our heart. So um, it's important to make sure that what we're thinking about, what we're focusing on, Has something to do with what we want to see come into being. So if we think about something we want to see come into being, like shelter for all human beings or food for all or a healthier planet, then we can use our minds to come up with solutions for these things through coherent thinking. And if we do that, others will join our thinking. It'll engage other people. And we saw this happen at Standing Rock a little bit, and quite a bit. So others will join our thinking if we're doing coherent thinking um, connected to our heart because others will feel it and be inspired by it. We tend to believe, and here's that word again, believe, that the way things are, are the way they must remain. And we trust that those who were given authority because they had enough money to live a life of privilege, that they must be accepted, that their authority must be accepted, because the system must be a good system. And again, that's a belief. It's it's not something that, that's true, necessarily. We know, if we think coherently, that that this idea just doesn't pan out. We see evidence of it all over the place. So, instead of thinking coherently about it, we hope that things will change. But they aren't going to change unless we think differently unless we think coherently. We can't be afraid to think differently. We can't give away our energy and our ability to think coherently. We need to keep our bodies healthy and well and not use them for gratification or distractions, to take away dead feelings like feeling dead. Because if we're honest with ourselves... We know we feel dead and numb. And we know that when we feel dead and numb, we just focus on buying things or getting more money to buy more. And there's a couple of things I want to say about that. And that, first of all, in keeping yourself healthy, your body healthy and well, a lot of that has to do with your nutrition. And you don't just want to eat to feel full. You want to make sure you eat something that's really nutrition, nutritious, and that means eating non-GMO foods, because GMO foods have the nutrition stripped out of them. That's why they're not good. So you, and you don't want to eat a lot of carbohydrates, because they don't have any nutritional value, because again the, the wheat has been changed, so it's not nutritious anymore. Um, you want to eat things that Bring your body nutrition. And it's very important, and you'll see that in prisons they they give the prisoners bare bones nutrition. Um, that you know, and they do that for. It's very likely they do that for a reason. I mean, the impact is that it's hard for the prisoners to think coherently if they're in a, if they they have a low state of nutrition. Their bodies are not, you know, optimally um, well. And also, I'm um, about the the buying when you feel dead or numb inside. I would challenge you to walk into a store like, a department store like Nordstrom's, which we have in Seattle, go into the main floor and look at the faces of the people. Just walk in there um, and just watch the people for a little bit. And you'll see that they their eyes are glazed over. They are, you know, they're just, they're just almost in a trance in their buying. And they're spending a lot of money. There's a lot of money, you know, going through those transactions. It's a very expensive store of products and they are very expensive. So, I mean, this is, this is part of the process is that, you know, they are being good consumers. They are, they are buying, they are buying expensive things they are making themselves feel better about feeling dead and numb inside. And you can see with this kind of a system, based on the perpetuation of increased buying, that those who control the system would feel that those in poverty are throwaways. And if you are in poverty, you can't buy. So you're a burden to the system. So how do those behind the system, or profiting by the system, perceive those of poverty? Well, they want them to either they want to either destroy them by starving them, by giving them non nutritious food, which creates disease, disease states in their bodies, or making it so it's hard to access food for them, which we see happening recently in the reduction of food stamps and making it illegal to feed those homeless. Or by creating a market out of them as consumers of illegal drugs, because the drugs are brought in by, and uh, the, the money from the drugs are used to fund wars. So, you know, it's a, they they won't they need the consumers of drugs and who better to be the consumers than the those in poverty? Or if they can wing it, um, they hope to create a cheap labor force out of the those in poverty by placing them into private prisons where they can work for you know a few cents a, an hour and uh, and you know create markets that you know, and with a greater profit for those uh, for those who um, need who want to earn more from from those markets, or in the case of Carl Harp and his friends in this story, they use kids in poverty as mercenaries to do dark pool fighting, and then they use them again. Wrongly, as the face for crimes they didn't commit. And very likely, the crimes in those situations were designed by our own military or law enforcement. They're public crimes used to generate fear, like the sniper crimes on American soil, the public crimes like the Boston Marathon bombing, if you look at that, there's a history of a mercenary activity. The Orlando sh- uh, sniper shooting in the nightclub, the person had a relationship to uh, a mercenary firm. The D.C. sniper crime, the person had a background as special ops and um, mercenary training. So if you look at almost all of those, you'll find a similar pattern. And... Um, and most of those most of those people were all um, all came from poverty. So, with this case with the Carl Harp story, that's a it's an old and one of an old story. So there's a lot of information that um, has been amassed, you know, that's sitting around in different archives and different places. A lot of the people have died, so it's accessible. Um, but it can create a story or put together a landscape of facts that describe how these kinds of situations work, how these kinds of, how this kind of control works. It's the same fact pattern as we see in current events. So it's, um, it's important to keep that information from coming out. And um, why is it important? Because it wouldn't be effective then to generate those kinds of large scale violent um, incidents that cause a lot of fear in the American public. People would be upset and they would look at them differently. And maybe they would even stop them from happening maybe they would protect their children from being um, harmed like Carl Harp and his friends were harmed and that's still going on, very likely still going on today so I learned yesterday that the resistance or the concern about this project by law enforcement that doesn't the concern isn't really over Carl Hart being murdered and the authorities maybe be involved in this murder. They want that to sort of be the focus. They want they want it to look. They want they want there to be, or they they it's useful if they can, you know, put all the focus towards that onto that. That here's this crazy woman who's thinks she knows better than the police about a crime, this crime that was committed so long ago. I mean, they want to... That's the line that they want to create. They don't want to have any focus beyond the mercenary activity. Um, They want to reframe that. They are just keep it... They don't want to reframe it. Maybe they do want to reframe it. I don't know. Maybe it's starting to be reframed. It's kind of interesting. But... um, but anyway, they they want to keep the attention away from that. It's better if it's just the crazy woman who thinks she knows better than the than the police about this horrible sniper incident. And that's why the weekly article was written like it was, and the uh, the title "sniped." Again, that's a really if you look up a, one of the other second meanings for that word. I mean, that's why they chose that that title and the judge brought that story up yesterday interestingly at the the FOIA conference he brought up a lot of things that had nothing to do with the FOIA documents so um, it was and again I'm not going to go into the details of that but I can tell you one thing that that was a very dark experience there's a lot of darkness there and um, it's very sad and uh, and it was um, it was Disconcerting and stunning on a, diff, a lot of different levels. So, anyway, Trudeau also talked about exercising non cooperation instead of civil disobedience. And by that he meant that civil disobedience, say in large scale protest events like Occupy, he felt that those are dangerous. And I found that interesting because I a friend of my fa- of my family was um a survivor from the 1917 Russian Revolution and he always said never get involved in large crowds that just stay away from large crowds when related to protest. And I Trudel f- um you know he said that you know what good comes out of them. Do you really see change coming out of those movements? And uh, now, I there was some change that came out of Standing Rock, and I totally believe in the events at Standing Rock. But the pipeline still went through, so the change that came out of it wasn't regarding the pipeline. It was it was a different kind of change, and that's because the dynamic there and how that evolved. And how it changed people's minds about about their thinking and about their hearts and about their spirituality. So that, that created a huge change. It was a unity that was created. That's very important. But what Trudell was saying is that the people who are... That situations like he thinks like the Occupy movement could have even been set up because... He thought that it. What he thinks that what happens is that people, when they come to those events, that they are then um, targeted, you know, so that they they can be assessed. Who are the leaders? Um, What are their names? Where are they from? What are they doing? Who do they know? And that this creates a map, in a sense, um, that can can be used later to control dissent. And you do see that happening, even from Standing Rock. You see, um, with the news that came out about Tiger Swan, I mean, you definitely see that this has been happening. The leaders have been focused on or attacked, or, you know, there's a lot of questions that have come up. There's, you know, people have been pitted against each other. So I think that he's right about that. But what he suggests is that um, instead, what's maybe more useful is if we exercise what he calls non-cooperation and by non-cooperation he means doing things like he suggested grouping together a a large number of people and then don't buy anything for one or two days like nothing buy nothing for one or two days that that would have more impact um, to make to create change and to and to keep you in aligned with coherent thinking and aligned with your own power, then um, you know than going out in, in a group as a protest group. So um, I think that that's I think that that's probably correct. And there's probably a lot of non-cooperation actions that could be created. The divesting from the banks, it's a non-cooperation action. So there can be others like that. And I'll talk about some of those things later on in another podcast, talk about that idea a little more. So I'm going to keep this one, make sure it's not too long. So, Okay, that's all I have for today. Thanks a lot for listening. Okay, bye.